For many generations, slavery and the sale of human beings from one party to another was permitted under the official laws of Great Britain. But in God's providence, one man would be raised up, a Christian man in particular. He would be raised up from within the British Parliament to protest the ugly sin of slavery and then campaign for a new law that would forever outlaw slavery across the British Empire. That Christian man's name was William Wilberforce. Family, it was in the year 1787 that William Wilberforce came under the influence of some abolitionist friends who were very passionate in their anti-slave trade views. And when their passionate views against slavery were united with William Wilberforce's own growing understanding of the Bible and his Christian uh, faith, William Wilberforce became one of the leading spokesmen in the parliament who was determined to bring slavery to an end. But as history informs his family, little did Mr. Wilberforce know that his political battles against slavery would stretch to nearly two full decades. Biographers of William Wilberforce's life tell us that approximately 10 years into his battle to overturn British slavery, Mr. Wilberforce was home one evening. He was licking his wounds from yet again another stinging defeat in the parliament. He was tired. He was frustrated. The young Wilberforce reached for his Bible. And he opened his Bible and began to leaf through it, hoping that he would find something there that might lift his spirits. But no sooner did he open his Bible than a small piece of paper fell out and fluttered to the floor. That single piece of paper was a letter, a letter that had been written to Mr. Wilberforce by the legendary preacher, the founder of the Methodist Church, a man whose name was John Wesley. And this letter had been written to Wilberforce just before Wesley's own death. Well, with careful eyes, William Wilberforce paused and he read again in this letter the heartfelt words that John Wesley had written to him. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion of England and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and of devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of His might. Family, as you might imagine, that handwritten letter from the pen of John Wesley was exactly what William Wilberforce needed to reinvigorate his spirit and reignite his passion for fighting the good fight of the elimination of the slave trade in the English Empire. Wesley was right. God was for 
William Wilberforce. And so he needed to stay true to the cause of truth, justice, and freedom, even though he might be surrounded by great adversity and opposition. Well, believers, as we open our Bibles today for the final time to Paul's letter to the Galatians, today in the final words of Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul is going to use his pen to encourage the Galatian believers and to challenge them to stay true to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, even though they were surrounded in this very troubling controversy against Jewish false teachers, these false teachers who were trying to call them back to Jewish legalism. Family, let's take our Bibles and let's look at this final paragraph today in the book of Galatians. In this message for today, family, that I've entitled, Stay True to the Gospel. Now then, believers, today this is going to be our final message In this verse-by-verse study through Galatians, it has added up, friends, to some 20 sermons in all. And over the past 19 sermons together, you and I have been listening as the Apostle Paul has been defending his apostleship and championing the true biblical gospel in the face of Jewish false teachers who were saying that Paul wasn't trustworthy. And they were saying that the message that Paul was preaching wasn't the truth. These false teachers were telling the Galatians that salvation really wasn't by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They were saying that salvation is by obeying all the religious rules, regulations, and rituals of Judaism. And so this church is under a terrible threat of heresy. And that is why Paul picked up his pen and wrote this powerful letter to correct that error and to bring the Galatians back over to the side of truth. Family, when we look at the books of the New Testament, perhaps no other book is more passionate other than maybe the book of Romans. No other book other than Galatians is more powerful to declare and defend the true gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, family, we're coming to the final words of this letter from Paul. and We're going to watch as the Apostle Paul himself takes up the pen. He takes the pen from his writing secretary, and Paul himself writes this closing paragraph. And in this section, Paul wants to give these believers one final summary and one final challenge to stay true to the real gospel of Jesus Christ. Believers, as we consider today Paul's words and we think about the way that the biblical gospel continues to be overshadowed and misinterpreted and downplayed and even ignored in our own day, what steps can we take? What practical things can you and I do in our day to stay true to the gospel? Family, as we step through the Word of God today, I want us to talk about four action steps that can help us stay true to the gospel. This morning, we're going to talk about four action steps that can help us stay true to the gospel. Here's number one. Embrace God's inspired message. Number one, embrace God's inspired message. Look at Galatians chapter 6 with me, verse 11. Paul says, See... 
with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Now, Christians, when you take a closer look at the New Testament, you will discover that the Apostle Paul penned 13 out of the 27 New Testament books. Paul was a very prolific writer. So it shouldn't surprise us then that Paul would often choose to use a writing secretary. A writing secretary to assist him with so many of the letters that he was writing to local churches. But even though Paul often used a writing secretary to assist him with his correspondence, it was almost always Paul's custom to take the pen himself near the end of the letter and write out some final thoughts or a final greeting. Family, look in your notes this morning. In your bulletin, I've given you the ending there of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17, the close of that letter ends like this. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, family, that's the end of 2 Thessalonians. We just read here the opening sentence of the close of Galatians. Here's another example where Paul takes his common practice here of taking the pen from his writing secretary and he scribes out the letter's conclusion himself. Look at verse 11. Paul asks the Galatians to actually take notice. Take note, Paul says, of the large letters with which I am writing. Now, some Bible scholars will conjecture here that the reason Paul wrote with such large letters was because he had weak eyesight or he had some kind of an, a debilitating eye condition that troubled him. And so he had to write big letters in order to see what he himself was writing. That may be true. It may not be. Some other Bible scholars say the reason Paul wrote with such large letters at the end to, was to make his personalized conclusion stand out from the rest of the letter which had been penned by the writing secretary. Now, those of you who do a lot of computer work, you send a lot of emails, many of you, you do a lot of texting, you do a lot of uh, writing on the computer, you know this, that when, you, when someone writes on the computer in all capital letters, when you write in all capitals on a computer, that is the, the digital equivalent of shouting. Some of you write emails to me and it's all capitalized, okay? That's bad. Okay, don't do that. That's digital shouting. Look, when you see someone write something to you and you've seen it on emails, texts, Facebook, when, when you see someone writing in all capitals and those giant letters, it gets your attention, doesn't it? It stands out. Well, Family, that's what Paul was hoping would happen here. This is the close of Galatians. This is Paul's final say, his final summary. He takes the pen himself. He writes this final section with his own handwriting. He wanted them to know the genuineness of this letter, that it really was from the Apostle Paul. Christian friend, there's a great application here for you and I this morning. If we want to be Christians who are true to the gospel then we need to be Christians who stay true to the inspired message of Scripture that God has revealed to us 
through his authorized messengers. You know, it's an unfortunate, sad reality. So many young Christians, and sadly even some veteran Christians, get caught up in so-called Christian books and so-called Christian authors who write and teach things that are actually quite contrary to the truth of Scripture. Look around today at some of the most popular religious teachers of our day. I'm talking about people like T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, even Joel Osteen. You can find their books everywhere. You can find these mainstream religious teachers. You can find them even on the bookshelves at your local Walmart. But listen, all three of those teachers, as popular as they are today, all three of them teach some very questionable things that are contrary to the truth of inspired Scripture. Now listen, are there some good teachers out there? Yes, of course there are. There's also some good books out there too. But listen, Christian friend, the first book you ought to be reading, the most important book you ought to be reading, is the inspired Word of God. Look to read the Bible before you go and read all these other books. Read the Word of God. Look in your notes, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction, training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Believers, if you want to stand fast in the true gospel, make sure that you are faithfully reading, faithfully studying the scriptures that were given by God. Scripture that was given, inspired scripture that was given to God's true spokesmen, men who were trusted to write God's inspired revelation. Only sacred scripture comes with God's divine authentication. So if you really want to stay true to the gospel, then scripture must come first. You must keep your devotion to Scripture. Only Scripture deserves your strongest embrace and your most heartfelt devotion. Now, secondly, family, here's a second action we'll consider today. You want to stay true to the gospel? Then number two, follow leaders who emphasize the cross. Number two, follow leaders who emphasize the cross. Look at verses 12 to 14. Again, this is the final Paragraph. This is the paragraph that closes Paul's letter to the Galatians. Look at verses 12 to 14 in our text. Paul says, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised to keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Family, have you ever experienced that sinking feeling of knowing you just got taken advantage of by someone? You get this sinking feeling in your gut that you just got had. Maybe you're standing in the aisle of the grocery store and this complete stranger is being so nice to you. 
they're talking to you and they're smiling. And you don't know this person from Adam, but they're so conversational, they're so friendly, when all of a sudden they whip out their business card and they want to tell you about Amway products or Melaleuca vitamins or the latest essential oils. Doesn't it always happen this way? You start out with the impression, you start out that the people mean you good. But then the curtain drops and you find out what's really going on. You find out the truth that what those people wanted from you was really what was good for them. Well, family, here in these scriptures that we just read, verses 12 to 14, Paul wants the Galatians to understand that that's what's been going on with them in relationship to the false teachers. All this attention that the Jewish false teachers had been showing them was really just all about these Jewish false teachers getting something for themselves. In other words, their motives were suspect. Look at verse 12. It's interesting. Paul makes a little play on words here. I wonder if you caught it. A little play on words here with the word flesh. Here were these Jewish legalists telling the Galatian believers they needed to come back to Judaism. Come back to Judaism with all the rules and the regulations and the rituals, especially the ritual of circumcision, which was a ritual of cutting the flesh. But Paul says they're only doing that so that they can make a good showing in the flesh. Or to say in another way, Paul says they're just using you. They're just using you so that they can make a good impression outwardly. You see, family, you have to understand something here. Back in ancient times, Judaism was one of the accepted and protected religions of the Roman Empire. Now remember, in the Roman Empire, there was a whole pantheon of Greek and Roman gods and all these deities that were worshipped by Roman people. But Judaism was allowed. Judaism was permitted to exist in the Roman Empire. It was protected by the empire. However, Christianity was not. Christianity was not a protected religion. And thus, Christians often came under punishment, persecution, and pain. So these false teachers surely didn't want to come over to the side of Jesus, the cross, or Christianity. or Because why? That meant potential persecution and pain. So Paul is pointing out here the primary motivation of the false teachers. Why were these false teachers so invested and so excited to get into the lives of the Galatians? Look at verse 13. Paul says it's bad enough that these Jewish legalists don't even keep the rules of the law themselves. But Paul says the main reason that they want you to come back over into Judaism is that so they can boast. So that they can boast to their fellow Jews how they proselytized you and how they won you back to Judaism. In other words, the real motivation here is to draw them back to Judaism so that the false teachers can put another notch in their belt and say how great they are that they went over into Galatia and they proselytized and they won a whole bunch of people to Judaism. 
They, want to, they wanted to brag, Paul says. All they want to do is just brag to their fellow Jews how they converted you back to Judaism. It's all about the bragging. Family, I wonder how many of you last month heard WWF wrestler and Hall of Famer Ric Flair in an interview with ESPN. He bragged to ESPN in this documentary that was being made. Ric Flair bragged that during his pro wrestling career, he had sexual exploits with an in excess of 10,000 different women. Bragging about how many women he had conquered. Well, here were these Jewish legalists, and they were looking to brag. They wanted to brag about how many converts they had won over in Galatia. Can you imagine that? What a shameful motivation. What a disgusting and harmful motivation. But Paul wants the Galatians to know that's what's going on here. But look at the contrast here, family, in verse 14. You see the contrast? Paul says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says in stark contrast to these religious legalists who only want to brag, who only want to boast about the converts they won, Paul says, my only desire is to make much of Jesus Christ and his cross. Paul could care less about earthly fame, human recognition. Paul says, I've died to that. That stuff is dead to me. Earthly acclaim and applause. Paul's only desire was to point people to Jesus. To point them to the eternal salvation that is available through the cross. Family, this was Paul's heartbeat. This is why Paul got up in the morning. This is why Paul lived and breathed for the cross. Remember 1 Corinthians 2? It's in your notes, verses 1 and 2. Paul said to the Corinthians, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul says similarly in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Christian friends, listen, you want to stay true to the gospel? In your day, then be diligent to follow behind spiritual leaders who make much of the cross. When it comes to spiritual leaders, it isn't charming personality. It isn't charisma. It isn't a good, deep voice. It isn't best-selling books. It isn't a dynamic speaker on Sunday morning that matters the most. What matters the most is unwavering devotion to the cross. Does that pastor, does that speaker, does that spiritual leader make much of the cross? Does he make much of what Jesus did there? If not, then keep walking. If the main focus is not Jesus Christ and His cross, then put that book down. If Jesus and the cross isn't the focus, then turn off that podcast. X out that website. Turn off the program. Friend, life is too short and the gospel is too important for you to give your time 
and your affections to religious charlatans and these self-aggrandizing religious teachers out there who don't teach the truth. So Christian friends, here in the closing of Galatians, Paul is giving powerful insights about staying true to the gospel. How do you do it? Number one, you embrace God's inspired message. You look to that trustworthy message that was given to the trustworthy apostles. Number two, you follow leaders who emphasize the cross. But here's the third action. Number three, proclaim the new birth over religious rules. Number three, proclaim the new birth over religious rules. Look at verse 15. Paul says, For... In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Christian friends, you and I have been studying the book of Galatians for quite a while now. All right, this is sermon number 20. In Galatians, in over 19 sermons so far, we've learned that one of the primary themes of the book of Galatians is that religious rules and religious regulations do not bring salvation. Remember Galatians 2.16, Paul said, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, Paul says it again, For in Christ Jesus Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accounts for anything, but only faith that's at work in love. Family, the truth is salvation comes, the Bible says, by God's grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Friends, that's the supreme teaching of Galatians. That's the supreme doctrine of Galatians. And because that's the supreme theme, well, wouldn't it only make sense then? That in the final paragraph of the final summary of this book, that Paul would trumpet that truth again one final time. Look at verse 15. Paul says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything or counts for anything but a new creation. In other words, religious rules, religious regulations, religious rituals, doesn't make salvation happen. What matters is the person being made a new creation. In other words, Paul's talking there about the new birth. Now, Christian friends, listen to me, okay? You want to make this scripture light up like fireworks? Take the word circumcision in verse 15 and replace it with whatever popular religious activity you can think of. And see how that scripture comes to light. Look at it again. For in Christ Jesus, let's replace it now. For in Christ Jesus, neither church attendance, nor rosary beads, nor confessional booths, nor confirmation classes, nor infant baptisms, nor Lent practices, nor Hail Marys, nor Our Fathers, nor financial gifts to the church, nor holy water, nor masses, nor sacraments avails anything but a new creation. 
Paul says the new creation is what counts. He's talking there about the new birth. He's talking about being spiritually regenerated. Remember, it was Jesus Himself who taught this in John 3. Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, unless one is born of water and born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So believers, let it be said, as loudly as it can be said from the pulpits of all true preachers and the lips of all true believers, that religious rules and religious things do not bring salvation. Only the new birth does, which happens when someone believes on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And Paul says in verse 16, and as many as will walk by this rule, this rule, this standard of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ, this rule, Paul says to those people, They are the ones who come under the incredible blessings of peace. Peace with God and the receiving of the mercy of God. In other words, the forgiveness of sins by the mercy of God in Christ. Family Paul has such unwavering confidence that Christ alone is the way of salvation. Whether we're talking about Gentiles who believe on Christ, or whether we're talking about Jews who come to faith in Christ, whom Paul calls the Israel of God. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. What matters is faith alone in Christ alone. Dear friend, perhaps you've been influenced your whole life. Perhaps you've been getting it in your ear your whole life by religious people telling you that religion is the way to heaven. They're telling you that religion and the things of religion and religious deeds and religious works, they're in your ear telling you that's the way to heaven. Listen, friend, you need to know what the Bible says. And the Bible says that that kind of statement couldn't be further from the truth. Salvation is not about what you do in religious deeds. It's not religious works or religious efforts. It is what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Maybe you've heard religion explained like this, and I think it's a good analogy. Religion is you trying to get up to God. That's what religion is. Religion is you trying to get up to God. But the Bible teaches the gospel. The word gospel means good news. The good news of Scripture is that God comes down to you in His Son, Jesus Christ, where Jesus lived the perfect life that you could never live. And Jesus went to the cross in your place and He took your sins upon himself so that you could be fully forgiven and fully accepted by God. Oh friend, if God is speaking to your heart today, if God is pricking away at your conscience today and showing you that you need Jesus, friend, don't ignore. Don't put God off. Come to Christ today, dear friend. 
Come to Christ here and now. Don't ignore God. Don't put Him off. Open your heart and invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Confess your sins and invite Jesus to be your Savior. Friend, that's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be made a new creation. It's being made new on the inside by the power of God's amazing grace. Oh, friend, today, won't you come by faith to Jesus? Family, Paul knew that his letter to the Galatians was getting to the end. We've been seeing here, Paul takes the pen himself. And Paul is writing with his own handwriting this powerful conclusion with key insights on how to stay true to the gospel. We've looked at three actions so far that's going to help us, but here's a fourth. Number four, stand firm in the gospel of grace. Stand firm in the gospel of grace. Look at verse 17. Paul says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Family, listen to me this morning. When you are the parent of six children, it doesn't take long for you to become an expert in conflict resolution. Whether you are dealing with two screaming toddlers, wrestling each other on the floor over who is going to get the Thomas the Tank Engine, or whether you are dealing with two selfish teenagers who are arguing over a PlayStation controller, a huge portion of parenting is spent in conflict resolution. Now, typically when Heather and I have to intervene, the first thing that we try to do in conflict resolution is try to bring a ceasefire to the physical altercation. The wrestling, the hitting, the punching, whatever physically is happening. We'll try to interrupt that, stop that. Next, we'll attempt to talk. Walk the kids through the issue. What's going on here? Finding out the truth of who went wrong where and how God wants us to treat one another. And then finally, we will give those children a charge. We'll give them a charge for them to work it out. Work it out amongst themselves. Well, family, here's the final sentences from Paul's pen. Paul tells the Galatians something very similar to that. Throughout six chapters, Paul's been letting the Galatians know of what the truth is, the truth of the gospel. He's setting them straight. He's giving them this Holy Spirit-inspired instruction about the gospel. These false teachers had caused so much public trouble in the church, and they also had caused so much personal heartache for Paul. Paul had stepped in. He wrote them this letter. Paul spends the letter of the Galatians setting them straight. He gave them correction. And now at the close of the letter, Paul tells the Galatians, work it out. Work it out. And he does it in verse 17. Look at it. Verse 17, Paul says, From now on, let no one trouble me. Or to say it another way, Paul says, Enough is enough, Galatians. Enough is enough. I've set you straight. I've given you the truth. Now it's on you to put this controversy to rest. Now it's up to you, Galatians, to stand up for the truth, stand up to these false teachers, and send them packing. They tried to question my apostleship. They questioned my gospel. 
But Paul says, you know the truth, now handle it. You know the truth, Paul says, I'll let the marks on my body speak for themselves that I really am a true ambassador of Jesus Christ. Family, verse 17, that word marks is an important word. It's the word stigmata. Stigmata or marks. But in this case, it's not referring to the marks that Jesus had on his body at the cross. But this here, this word refers to the physical scars that the Apostle Paul had all over his body for what he had suffered as a true servant of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'll let my scars and my marks speak for themselves, that I really am a true ambassador for Jesus. So that brings us to verse 18. Notice how Paul purposefully strikes the final note. Isn't this great? The note of grace. Even in his final word to the Galatians, Paul says, Brethren, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Family Galatians is not an easy letter. I can't imagine being the Galatian people and receiving this letter. It's a hard letter to read. Paul had to do a lot of confrontation in this letter. Paul had a lot of tough talk in this letter. There's a lot of tough love in Galatians. Lots of correcting. Sometimes Paul in Galatians is very direct. Sometimes he's harsh. He gets right to it. But these were precious people to Paul. He loved these people, and did you notice, even at the end of the book, he still calls them brothers, brethren, brethren. But these false teachers were persisting that the Galatians needed to come back to Judaism. And so even in the last sentence, Paul strikes the note of grace. Salvation is not by religious rules, regulations, but it is only by God's grace. Christian friend, what a great challenge this is for you and I even today, even this morning. You and I as Christians today, we're living in a modern era where the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to be downplayed. It continues to be misinterpreted. It continues to even be ignored. Look, we're not living in the first century like the Galatians were, but even now in the 21st century, the threat to the gospel remains. Friends, right here in our own day, we are surrounded on all sides by countless false teachers and religious charlatans who want to talk about everything under the sun except the gospel. They're writing books and doing shows and podcasts and articles over everything under the sun except the truth of Scripture and the real gospel. So believers, just as it was for the Galatians in their day, so it remains for us in our day to stand firm in the gospel of grace. Stand firm in the gospel of grace. The Apostle Paul is not here to hold our hand or guide us along, but praise God, we have the truth written down for us. And now it is our turn, friends. Now it is our job to Work it out. To work it out. To stand up for the truth. To stand firm in the truth of grace. To silence those who speak error. And to defend the true gospel until our dying day. Christian, if God's amazing grace has touched your spirit, then you ought to champion that grace. 
You ought to be a champion for God's grace because it is only grace that will ever make a dying sinner come alive in Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, believers, as we draw this sermon and this series to a close, I hope you come away today tremendously motivated and challenged to stay true to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you turn today, Christian, there are books, articles, websites, podcasts, videos, sermons, teachers that aren't teaching the truth of Scripture. Instead of proclaiming the glorious gospel of God's free grace in Jesus Christ, these people and these products and these false teachers are teaching the hellish heresy of works righteousness. And it's leading people to hell. Family, how can you stay true to the gospel when you are surrounded by such a storm of theological error? Well, this is what you do. These steps. Number one, you embrace God's inspired message. Number two, you follow leaders who emphasize the cross. Number three, you proclaim the new birth over religious rules. And fourthly, you stand firm in the gospel of grace. Family, these are the courageous actions that have been taken by the people of God in every generation. And now it is our turn. Now it is our turn to stand up and say that salvation is forever and always by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And family, just like William Wilberforce gained the victory over British slavery after 20 plus years of laboring in Parliament, so you and I, Christian, we can be confident that every effort we give in proclaiming and defending the true gospel will ultimately end in victory, and it will be the victory of God's amazing grace. Thanks for listening. This preaching for a change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.